Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give, and there's no regular commitment. Just click the link in the show description to support now. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50% to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Fiction. Science fiction. Horror. Fantasy. Crime. You have now entered the House of Mystery with your hosts, Eric Shapiro, David North Martino, John Copenhaver, and Al Warren. FM Los Angeles. 102.3 FM Riverside. And 1050 AM Palm Springs. Well, welcome back into the House of Mystery, and I'm at the controls, Al Warren. And the real interviewer today is uh, John Copenhaver. How are you doing, John? Hey, Al. I'm doing well. Oh, you're lying. You're all upset and nervous. Facebook and Instagram <laughs> Facebook is down. Facebook and Instagram, where did you go? Yeah. I got to get my fix, you know. Well, yeah, you're probably shaking and <laughs> yeah, don't know yeah. what to do, biting your, biting your nails. Because <laughs> <laughs> somewhere in the world, Facebook is up and running, and they're looking at you and your book, and they're saying all sorts of things about you, and you can't get to it. Oh, that's fine. That's fine. They can say that I'm 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 at peace with so, social media. You know, there's always Twitter. There's always Twitter where they're talking about Facebook being down. Right. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I love it. What a world we live in today. You never would have believed it. You know, twenty, thirty years ago, someone told you. You know, but anyway, doesn't matter. So you've got a new book out uh, now. Another person we've got here on the show is a. Uh, a friend of yours, too. Wow. Yeah, an old friend. No, you Back should say day, a friend he... from a while ago. You never say old. Well, you know. <laughs> That's a bad term. Um, but we're glad to have her. So we're going to be talking about the book The Mother Next Door. And it's a novel of suspense. And uh, the writer, of course, is who we're talking about. That's Tara Laskowski. Thank you for being here. Thank you for having me. <laughs> she said that with a great... <laughs> yeah, you know, like nervousness. No, oh. it's five o'clock, so you know it's happy hour, <laughs> or at least it is here. Oh. In my, where I am. It's here too. <laughs> you got the IV in, and it's running. Okay. 
Al's in Canada over on the West Coast, so he's going to wait a little bit. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Well, no. I, <laughs> I'm, I'm a good boy. I don't do any of that bad stuff. Oh, yeah. <laughs> well, so now, Tara, how did you get into writing? Like, what, what made you um, go down this path of writing books? Uh, um, I don't know. I guess I must be a little uh, crazy or something because <laughs> this is such a weird business. But, uh, you know, I've always, I always wanted to be a writer. I mean, I, I remember in, I think it was sixth grade, our teacher wanted us to write a story and we had to write like the title and the bio at the end and the story in the middle and illustrate it. And my favorite part was like putting it all together in this binder and make, and making the, about the author bio and all that stuff. And, uh, there was something very glamorous to me about the idea of writing and publishing. And, um, and so in high school I started writing stories and then I, um, you know, after college, I decided that I needed to pursue my MFA and applied to a bunch of places and, and got in at George Mason University and met John Copenhaver. And then, you know, my life really took off after that. <laughs> oh, great. What, he was it all, was really all John. <laughs> oh, and he got you a job at McDonald's drive-thru or something like that. <laughs> Have connections, Al. I know. I've heard you got <laughs> influencer peddling you. My God, I don't know how anybody gets that. <laughs> but did you, Tara, did you have an image of what a writer would be? Like you say it was glamorous and you looked at, oh, this would be kind of cool and all this stuff. But in your mind then, were you picturing what it would be to be a writer? Uh, probably when I was a kid, it seemed really glamorous. I mean, now looking back at that, that's the silliest thing ever. Um, and I actually have, I have a uh, hashtag that I sometimes post on, on Twitter when I'm talking about things that I call glam writer life. And it's usually involving me picking up cat vomit because <laughs> it's like every time I have like some very cool writer event where, you know, I, I get to meet someone cool or I go to this great convention or nominated for an award, like the next morning my cat throws up all over the house and it's like it's keeping me honest or humble or something. It brings you back to reality. Yeah, but I mean, you know, in reality, the writing life is not really all that glamorous. I mean, we spend a lot of time in front of our computers alone, and we get rejected a lot, and it's like, why do we do these things? So, yeah, I don't know. Yeah. Well, you know, John, he, of course, he's got influencers, and he's he's got like a a chair at home, and he's got someone, a masseuse, and he's got someone doing a snack. Right. yeah, yeah, it's it's pretty. I don't know what you're doing wrong, Tara, but it's do you still have the here. do you still have the person <laughs> who comes and brings you grapes whenever you need them, like while you're yeah 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 fresh flowers every day <laughs> That's great. you oh, know yeah every- <laughs> well you should but you know uh, John just canceled uh, Oprah was sending her jet over to pick up John <laughs> yeah she bothers him no, I'm going to interview she bothers him all the time yeah, she- it's so annoying I know. I know. Yeah, it's crazy. His phone's ringing in and it says Oprah, and he goes, don't, don't answer that. <laughs> she just won't leave me alone. She just won't leave me alone. That. Oh, boy. You know, she, he wants, she oh, wants John's influencers to help her out. She's struggling, you know. Thank you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I, it's, it's so true. It's just not – there's just the glamour 
whatever people think is the writing life, there's maybe like maybe like one tenth of a percent that there's that kind of stuff going on. Most of it's like sitting in front of your computer, um, and deleting a word and adding it back in, deleting a word, adding it back in, yeah, word, adding it back exactly. in. That's that's. <laughs> but I found that like writers, yeah, but people who do not write either have this idea that it is very glamorous and like you're you know you're making all this money yeah. and you're a bestseller or they treat it like oh, oh this is a cute little hobby that you have like i feel like those are the like two sort of reactions mm-hmm. that i get um which is kind of funny because it's it's really somewhere in the middle of that but you know <laughs> but do you think do you think this whole the whole new world that we've gone into with amazon and all the self-publishing and the massive marketing going on with Facebook and and everything else going in in our world now. But do you think that sort of cheapens it? Do you think that perhaps there was a time um, back a while ago when writers were more glamorous? Um, I don't think that it's it would be necessarily self-publishing or social media that would have done that. Um, it's just more, I think, people, ch- you know, there's not as many readers these days, um, and so it doesn't feel as mm-hmm. as prestigious because you know people aren't reading novels as much as they used to. I think I don't know. I mean, maybe I'm wrong about that, but I always think about like the attention span whole idea, and you know, there's just so much other thing, so many other things competing for people's attention, um, and so I don't know that it's people that people have a bigger platform um because that's great in some ways you know that people can get their stories out there however they want um but i just i don't know i just and maybe maybe the maybe the lack of readership has to do with social media maybe i don't know but uh yeah it's uh, hmm. i don't know i'm sure it's a question that many people have pondered other than you know the five minutes that i'm spent thinking about it but <laughs> <laughs> well, it's just it's a it's a curious thing. I just think that because, and it's not that I'm slamming self-publishing. I, what it, what it was was just that there's so many more books being published per yes. week now. There's a lot more competition, so when yeah. people read, they have a lot more to choose from. Right, right, right. There's like a you know a thousand new books out this week, and you're like, well, which do you pick? You know. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's it's more about um, maybe there's just as many readers, but they have too many to choose from. And you can only read so much. Right. In a, you know, and uh, and that. So, But, you know, it's curious. Like, did you, you were talking about, you know, writing when you were young and getting into the book. Was there an actual catalyst or an event that actually made you decide that you felt you could publish a book? You know, because that's a big step uh, from from just writing in school and just writing for yourself to actually go, no, this I want to go send this to a publisher. Right. I want to I want to get it out there. Um, you know, there's there was definitely a moment I felt where like I that I point to often when when people ask me these kinds of questions. Where I remember in high school, we we you know we read a bunch of books, very classic books, a lot of different kinds of things. But the one story that I remember reading that I read it and I thought I could I could write I could write like I could do this uh, was A and P. Um, 
John Updike, I think. Mm. Yes, am I getting that right? Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. Um, I keep getting because also the swimmer was another one. That's John Cheever. So I was like making sure I got my white male writers correct. But <laughs> um, <laughs> but A and P. I remember reading it, and it you know it takes place entirely in a grocery store, and it's teenagers, and yet it has this it like transcends beyond that, right? And and there's these like moments of connection or disconnection or whatever. And I remember reading that story and thinking, oh. Like, I can write things that, like, you know, that are in my sphere, I guess, of, like, experience. And so it was that story that really made me think that I could write about what I know, but also make it, for a better word, sake of a better word, literary. Um, and so that's one moment that I remember thinking, not, not that I thought I could, you know, write a masterpiece about a grocery store or something, but that it made me just feel like literature was also relevant to me and I wasn't just reading about you know these people in Ireland in the 18th century struggling from famine you know something it just felt a little bit more modern and like to me uh, if that makes sense so that was one moment that I can point to in that in that regard so this book that you've just released the mother next door um Tell us what the, the concept behind this book is and, and what what may, what direct you to write something like this. Yes. So speaking of, you know, writing from your experience and your own sphere, um, the book is about, it, it, well, it's set, it's set in sort of an upper middle class suburban neighborhood. Um, and it's about a group of moms, these influential moms who are sort of, popular in the community and they're very powerful in their schools, like parent teacher um, association and stuff. And they host this annual block party every year for Halloween. That's pretty famous. And all the kids want to go there. because It's very cool. Um, and so the, this like the year that the book is set in that, that year's Halloween party they're getting ready to plan it. There's a new mom in town. They're trying to bring her into the fold. And while all of this is happening, they start getting these threatening messages from someone about a secret that they have that happened at one of the past block parties. And so they're trying to figure out who it is, what they want, um, what's going to happen. You know, is this going to be the year that all of everything implodes and, you know, what's going on. And so, that's sort of where what the book's about. And I say it speaking of my influence because I love Halloween and I love sort of these neighborhood block parties. I live right around the corner from a cul-de-sac that hosts a block party every year, although to my knowledge, the moms over there are not evil or have secrets. <laughs> not yet anyway. Um, and And so I was able to like, pull a lot of stuff that I love into this book. And that helps because it was very hard for me to write this book. It was my second book and it was the first book I ever wrote on a deadline. Um, And so I felt a lot of pressure. It was very hard. And so pulling in stuff like Halloween and urban legends and, you know, the idea of these competitive moms and like the dark side of suburbia and stuff, it was, it was, it was fun to do that. And so it made the painful writing a little easier, I guess. Well, so you, do you actually get right into your into your story? So do you actually kind of live it out in, in a sense in your own mind? Oh, you mean like imagining the world in your head? Yeah. I think, 
I don't yeah, know, John. You, John can speak to this too, but I feel like you kind of have to when you're writing a novel. You you sort of have to immerse yourself in the world and in the characters. It, um, it, I I feel like it just happens as part of the process because you are so you're spending so much time with these people and in this world. Um, and so sometimes I do walk around, you know, in, in my head, I am in another place, I guess. Yeah. yeah. Did you find that because it was like a deadline book that that was particularly true? Um, you know, I, I so far have not really had a deadline book and I feel like there are intense moments where I was in the world with my characters, but then there are probably times when I'm not, but do you think that changed at all? Um, Yes, I think so, because I had a, a more limited time to write the book. And, and so I was, I guess, immersing myself more than I would if I was writing at a more leisurely pace, I guess. Uh, but I also felt I have, I have sort of high anxiety in general and also with deadlines. And so I think that some of it was that I didn't get to immerse myself as much because I was also very stressed about the writing. Um, and so a lot of that was, it was harder because I wanted to have that feeling of like, this is fun. And, you know, I'm going to write this story, but, but like the anxious part of me said, no, you have to do this now and it has to be good and you don't have time to revise it. You know? So, yeah. So there was competing voices, I guess. Yeah, so you, that was hard. <laughs> I was going to say, you got all these voices going on in your head. Um, <laughs> did they tell you to do anything really, really bad? Or, <laughs> yes, they did. <laughs> okay, well. Finish the book at yeah, all exactly. costs. Well, there were definitely days where I thought, well, I'm just going to return my advance and break my contract and move to Hawaii and do something completely not writer-related for the rest of my life. So it was, yeah, it was tough. It was, it was definitely a very tough process, but I'm still amazed actually that I have a book now. So. <laughs> well, what, what about the process is the toughest? Like when you, how do you, how do you set up your process? So do you like get up and you have things to do and then do you set aside time? Let's say, okay, between 11 and three, I'm going to write. And then between six and seven, I can write. Do you actually schedule time to sit down and write or does it just, come whenever like do you how, how do you set up your let's say writing time? uh well you know before COVID-19 hit uh I had a more I think scheduled routine I would write during my lunch breaks at work and I would write at night when my son was going to bed like those were my two times when I thought okay I have this time I can I can work on this now that also didn't work that great because that meant that I was doing my day job all day and then also writing during my lunch break and then also writing at night. And I was spending you know, hours and hours at a keyboard, which is not great for your health. I do not recommend. Um, and But then once the pandemic hit, my office closed, essentially. So I was working from home. My son's school closed. So he was here doing virtual schooling in the spring of 2020 that was especially hard because the schools had yet not yet set up any kind of remote learning and so they were winging it as everyone else was and so we were all home and everything was imploding and so all of that routine and schedule and stuff went out the window and so that's when I was that's when I was 
really well. Actually, that was when I was supposed to have finished my first draft on this book. However, I finished the first draft and I wrote 70,000 words of it and then ended up throwing all of that away. And so now I was five months behind on my deadline and starting from scratch at the same time that COVID was hitting. So it was awesome. It was really great. Now you can, oh now gosh. you can see why I wanted to move to Hawaii. <laughs> um, see folks know that. Yeah, exactly. Right. <laughs> <laughs> um, and so I wrote, I mean, the good news is I write very fast. I know some writers are slow writers. I actually can write pretty fast. And so, and as I mentioned before, high anxiety. So the combination of, oh, my God, I need to meet my deadline and the fact that I could pound out a draft fairly fast. Like, I somehow did it. I still don't know how. Um, but to answer your question about, like, a process or a routine, I, I just find, I mean, I have, like I said, I have a full-time job and I'm a son and, you know, want to actually watch some TV every once in a while. Um, and so I've just become really good at time management where I – can trick myself into sitting down for 15 minutes and, and writing. Um, and sometimes that turns into a half hour and sometimes that turns into 45 minutes. But if I can say you have 15 minutes, Sarah, you can do this for 15 minutes, then I will sit down and do it. If I, if I think in my head, Oh, you have to write for an hour now. Like there's no way I can do it. Cause I don't think I have an hour. Does that make sense? So I kind of lie to myself basically. Yeah. Yeah. Well, yeah. Well, you use self-deception. I do. That seems like a. <laughs> I do, and sometimes. I need to Sometimes the one. fifteen minutes is painful, but it's you know it's still fifteen minutes. I may, even if I get a paragraph written, that's more than I had before. So. Do you have any tricks if you're if you're blocked if you're sort of like um, sitting there and you just can't seem to do something or you know what I mean if you just can't pull it together. Is there something you do to kind of make it work? Um, yeah, it depends on what it is. Sometimes I can just give myself permission to write badly, and that's enough to just pound through something. Other times I have to skip ahead and think, you know, when I'm writing a novel especially, like if there's a scene that's not the next scene in the book as I see it, but I have an idea of something that may be happening. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news... 
All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Since 2013, Bombas has donated over 100 million socks, underwear, and T-shirts to those facing homelessness. If we counted those on air, this ad would last over 1,157 days. But if we counted the time it takes to make a donation possible, it would take just a few clicks. Because every time you make a purchase, Bombas donates an item to someone who needs it. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST, code ACAST toward the end or in the middle I can try that you know try to try to draft that and keep it um so it depends on what it is and what my mood is but I think I think the big one is just giving yourself permission to write badly because I find that if I do that when I come back the next time it's not as bad as I thought it was usually oh yeah I do that all the time write badly (laughs) 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 <laughs> so so your characters what do they mean to you like uh, and i say that uh because so many of the guests um have said before that you know that their characters are like their children or they're like their family or they're they have different uh things like that that they say towards their characters what, what how do you describe your characters uh i really like them and you know, sometimes I wish I was not a crime writer because I have a hard time making bad things happen to my characters because I like them. And so I really have to push myself to make something bad happen to them. Uh, and so that's a, that's actually a struggle. I, I do have to go back and say, no, this scene, not, like not enough badness happens here. How can you make it worse? Um, and... So I think I'm always a little bit in love with my characters, even the ones that I don't like as a person all that much. Um, you know, I was just talking about the idea of unlikable female characters and how there's this negative stereotype about them because a lot of readers will diss a book because they say, you know, I didn't like this woman. She was evil or whatever. And I always like, I I mean, I can read a book and hate the character and still love the character, if that makes sense. Because if someone rates an unlikable person well and and they have their own moral code or they have something interesting about them, then I can personally go along on the ride with that and and sort of love them. And so the moms in my novel are, are not really likable people. I mean, they're not people I would personally want to be friends with, but I still like get them and I like get where they're coming from and I can sympathize with why they do the things that they do. Why do you think that's important to have those kinds of characters? Um, I mean, I agree with you. I, I love unlikable characters, but it is a constant refrain you see in uh, like Goodreads comments or whatever about stuff like some character wasn't likable enough, but 
why do you think it's important to have like unlikable characters or characters that are sort of morally dubious or you know, dubious in some way? Because they're super interesting and nothing, I mean, nothing, mm-hmm. if you had all good characters in your book and nothing interesting <laughs> would happen, right? right. Like, that would be a really <laughs> boring crime novel if everybody was moral and good and, <laughs> um, I've definitely read crime novels where, like, you know, there is the bad guy was really bad, and the good, the good characters were like, you know, kind of idealistic. Right. Okay. You know, I see what you're saying. Like characters. You know what I mean? Yeah. So, like, why do you think? Because I don't really like those books. I like the books where everything's cut. Kind of, there's like we're 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 you know in morally gray area. Right. And your I mean your book, John, is a perfect example of this, right? Because the the girls are. You know, they, they're definitely like interesting and yet there are some like, I mean, I think they're trying to do right by what they're doing, but they're definitely like questionable right. sometimes what they're doing. <laughs> yeah. Um, but, but isn't, I mean, that makes, that's a complex person, right? Nobody is ever always good and always right. bad. And so that's, right. I think that's what it is right. right there. Like when you write a villain who's like, mm-hmm always always just bad um that is like that's so not interesting and at the same time if you have a character who always makes the best decisions and does good by everybody it's it's boring it's more interesting when they try to do well and then they find themselves accidentally hurting someone or purposefully hurting someone that that's when it gets really interesting i think how did you come up with your characters in this book? Like, where, where do they come from for you? Is it, did they just come out of nowhere, the thin air? Or is it actually people? Like, maybe, maybe tell us, one of these is your neighbor or something? <laughs> I think my neighbors, I think my neighbors <laughs> suspect this. They're all probably, like, trying to figure out who's who. But uh, my characters, it depends. Sometimes they just start, sort of start talking as I am writing them on the page, and they, they don't sort of develop that way. And that's, that's always the best way because if they can come to you, their voice comes to you when you're writing and it's not fully formed, but pretty well formed. I think that's the easiest. Um, and sometimes, so for this book, there's five moms. And the, the thing I found very hard was distinguishing them because they're all kind of around the same age. They all live on the same street they all have teenage kids and so distinguishing their voices was a little bit harder in my first novel one night gone i had two alternating points of view one of them was a 40 year old woman and one of them was a teenager in the 1980s and it was a lot easier to distinguish those two voices and those two experiences i think but in this one it was it was harder so i actually had to at one point go back and almost I want, I want, I don't want to say stereotype because it's not really that way, but you kind of have to find the thing about each of them that's very distinguishing. Um, and because readers just need to kind of cling on to something, whether it's a, a voice tick that they have or some kind of physical characteristic or a way of looking at the world. And so I had to almost stereotype them in that way, I think, to distinguish them a little bit easier um, for readers on the page. 
It's like you got to kind of tag them for the readers. Yeah, like that's the blonde Southern belle, or that's the sarcastic one, or whatever. That's the glamorous writer. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. We have that one down. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it's just interesting that. um, So, how do you develop these characters in their situation? Because it sounds like it's. uh, um, you know, with hidden agendas and juicy secrets and stuff like that, you've got, you've kind of got a, a funny look at these people. Like you, you're sort of making fun of their situation. I think, right? Um, it's definitely a book that doesn't take itself super seriously. Um, I wouldn't say it's like you know a knee slapping hysterical parody <laughs> or anything, but it's not super you know, serious look at this. Um, But it is, I think, very hard to, I don't know, crime fiction is very hard to plot. And when you're writing, like I write domestic suspense, and so a lot of my books are kind of slow burn. They're, you know, there's not right out of the gate killing action. Um, It takes a little bit to to build that up, and, and it's more, you know, in your head psychological creepiness rather than James Bond on the roof, you know, fighting machine guns or whatever. Um, And so it's really important to develop the character backstory. And I, I often struggle with that because it's hard to see all of that on, on the page or in your head. And, and so I, I have my process I have found is to, sort of write a little bit, see what the voices are, see what's going on, what's happening. And then after I have something of substance is when I go back and sort of outline and make footnotes about, well, here's what they're saying right now, but this is sort of the backstory or, you know, this is their ulterior motive. And I try to keep that chain going, if that makes sense. Do you have, I was curious about it, uh, because you, you definitely have, uh, or at least nodding towards a sort of traditional kind of poison pen uh, uh, plot. Like, um, I don't know if you you were referencing things like The Moving Finger or what was the Dorothy Sayers, Gaudy Knight. I think that also has a sort of, some, some mysterious person sending letters that are upsetting and causing a stir. Was that... Was that something that sort of happened naturally, or were you were you kind of looking for structure? Or I'm just curious about your process, your plotting process. I always think that's hard <laughs> to figure out. Yeah, and it, I I honestly don't remember exactly how it all evolved because there was so much fretting about the plot. And I one of the, so the, <laughs> the notes, the idea of like notes and and um, you know spooky. I, I I did have some social media messages in there, and I didn't want to do that, but I it also felt like you know we're living in modern times, and this is probably how people would do it. Um, but I like the creepy like getting a letter in the mail is just such a like I don't know there's something creepy about that an anonymous note you know and in the book the one of the notes is delivered by mail, but there's no postmark, so clearly someone has slipped it into the mailbox, which means they are there physically, and you know, or at least were there. And uh, 
you know, and when you're living on a cul-de-sac, you know, your houses are kind of facing each other and you're always on display. And so there's this idea of like, who's watching you. And I don't know, there's a lot of interesting stuff there to play with. Um, but as far as like plotting it, John, I honestly, at this point, don't even remember. I just remember having a very hard time with the backstory in my book because I knew I needed to make connections to satisfy the reader because you don't want all these loose mm-hmm. ends and tangents and stuff. So I knew it all had to kind of come together at the end in some satisfying way. But figuring out what the backstory was and how all those connections worked was really, really tough in this one. How do you subscribe um, for someone that doesn't know? So you say domestic suspense or thriller. What is that exactly? Yeah, so there are tons of these subgenres, and I'm probably not going to get it right because people have written extensively about what all of them are and, and all that. But for domestic suspense, as I understand it, and people can correct me if I'm wrong, but it's usually it, it happens somewhere sort of close to home or the connections are close, like family or friends or um neighborhood kind of spouses, those sorts of things. And it does tend to be a little bit more like suspense rather than thriller to me is more psychological or, um, you know, a slow buildup um, as opposed to action um, and a lot of deaths. And there's a difference between a, a domestic suspense and a domestic thriller, I believe. And then there's psychological suspense, which is different as well. So there's all these different genres. But basically what I try to rate are very atmospheric. So I'm focused on what the setting is and making the setting as creepy as it possibly can. Um, And usually it's all about relationships and like kind of communication issues and family and all that kind of stuff. So is there, is there an underlying subtext or is there something you want people to get out of your book besides all the different uh, wild, wild things going on with the characters? Uh, yeah, that's a good question. I, you know, I, I think above all, we, we want readers to be entertained. We want to tell a good story. But I think for this book, one of the things that I was – looking at or thinking about when I was writing it was this idea of perfection and the idea of having it all and the pressures that society puts on moms, especially, I think parents in general, but moms, especially to, to act like they have it all or to act always, you know, with it or together to be this like great parent and the pressure that you have there combined with this idea, this ideal um, image, uh, you know, if you, if you think about social media, especially, you know, people post on social media when things are going great and they talk about how awesome their kids are and they show family photos and things. But there's this image that you project and then there's the internal or the things that are actually crumbling underneath and, the, and, and that tension between those two things. And so, I was playing with that a lot in this book because the moms want to have this ideal. We are best of friends. We throw the best parties. We have this the best neighborhood, and yet there's all this stuff that's going on underneath that's threatening to pull everything apart. 
Um, and so it's like, how far do you go to project this image and to, you know, have your, let your kids have this best life and everything without asking for help or admitting that you made a mistake. So now uh, where do people come find out more about you and your books and stuff like that? Or can they send you a creepy letter in the mail? <laughs> yeah. what, what, what? No, please don't send me a creepy letter. Um, I, my website is just karalaskowski.com and all of the stuff's on there. I actually just posted a, what I think is a cool book club guide there for this book. It's got, a drink recipe and reader guide questions and a plate, a Halloween playlist that I made um, and some other good stuff. So people can check that out if they want. So what goes on with you after you finish a book? Do you need time to kind of relax, decompress, kind of get over the writing process or do you just jump it right into something new? Um, well, for this one, I remember I turned my final edits and my editor and this was after an intense weekend of, of trying to get all these things done. And, um, and she texted me and said, okay, is it time to think about your third book? And I literally <laughs> wanted to throw my phone out the window. I was like, you are evil. And she was joking, but, <laughs> um, <laughs> yes, I needed time to decompress after that one. So I, I, I took not, I mean, not years on, you know, it's not like I'm sailing out on a yacht no. to think about other things for a year, but I definitely needed a few weeks at least before I thought about anything related to writing again. And then, um, sort of forgot about the pain and was like excited about a new idea. And, you know, so now I'm working on my third book right now which I'm hoping will hmm. go better. The process will go better than the, the second one. Fingers crossed. Yeah. yeah. And John's the only glamorous writer I know that has a yacht. So I don't yeah. <laughs> I know. He never invites me on it either. So I don't know. I know, what's I know. I'm terrible. I just, yeah. I he gets wrapped up in his nails <laughs> and hair and all that. Yeah. Time yeah. flies, you know. Yeah, you know, it's the old, the old fashioned. I'm, I'm washing my hair tonight, so I can't go out. And yeah, you think, yeah. wow, I have to wash my hair every night. You know? Yeah, <laughs> so much of it. That's what I say, yeah, styling and, and doing and all that stuff. Yeah, it takes a while. Did yeah. Did COVID bother you during the writing? Like, how did that affect you? Because you must have been through uh, writing this during some of the COVID there, and um, did, did that have any effect on you in in the writing part? Um, you know, as far as the, the subject matter, I think being home and everyone being home, it began to feel a little claustrophobic. And I think that affected the rating of this since I was writing about this neighborhood and homes and things. And I think that might have affected it in a good way. Everything else sucked about it, you know, and then it wasn't only COVID, but it was just everything with presidential election and all the civil rights. I mean, it was just an awful time, a very stressful time on a national level, I think. And it really affected a lot of people. I think I heard from a lot of artists and writers that couldn't be creative for a long time. Yeah. I've heard that too. Some people that shut right down and some escaped in their, in their work. But I'm just wondering if you, if, if you think that maybe you wrote a little darker, 
with all that stuff going on around yeah. you? Or do, do, does it affect you in that way? Well, you know, honestly, it might have been the opposite in some ways. I found that I couldn't read or think about really dark things. And I love horror uh, a lot, but I was finding more comfort in lighter things. Husband and I binged Murder, She Wrote like crazy <laughs> because it was something that was predictable and, um, you know, you knew at the end that the problem, the crime, the murder was going to be wrapped up nicely and solved. And I just didn't want anything emotionally heavy at that time. So almost the opposite, I think, for me. Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. I, I dove right into me TV. It runs 24-7 here. So all I do is watch. I know. Shows. I love it. <laughs> it's safer. It's safer because you, you know how it's going right. to end. You know, you know, because I think things seem very unsure in modern times. So when you focus on something from the 60s or 70s or some, or even 80s, at least you kind of know where it's going and what happens during that time. Right. Mm -hmm. So um, I think there's a safety mm -hmm. in it yeah, that um, we might not might not feel right. You know, but uh, and John, well, John, he goes out to those uh, anti-mask rallies and all. Oh, that. God. Because <laughs> <laughs> that's a that's a safe choice. <laughs> uh, oh, I'm terrible. I'm giving a bad time. Well, anyway, it's been a it's been a wonderful interview and um, the book. Go out and buy it. It's the best book you could you could purchase. You know. It's so good. It's so it, good. It's called The Mother Next Door. And it's a novel of suspense. Now, this is something everyone needs in their home. Buy one for, for Grandma. She'll love it. She'll love it for it. <laughs> so, so, now, our guest is the writer of this book, too. Um, so when she's not on her luxurious cruise in her yacht or hanging out with Oprah, she's at home writing. And it's Tara Laskowski. Thank you Thank for being Thank you so here. much. For having me. This was really fun. Thanks, Tara. Even on a budget, quality is non-negotiable. That's why Quince is the place to score high-end essentials at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince? They exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health-monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health Right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.
You've been listening to the House of Mystery radio show. To find out more about our guests, hosts, or shows, go to www.houseofmystery.com. Show is over for now. Was it as good for you as it was for me? Well, good night. This has been a production of Something Weird Media. I'll be back.